welcome to our verse-by-verse -verse journey through Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. The Gospel of Matthew serves as a bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In this Gospel, Matthew seeks to prove to the Jews that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. For those of us who aren't Jews, Matthew helps us to see our Savior King more clearly and through his gospel, learn to live well in his, in Christ's kingdom today. So grab a cup of coffee, open your Bible to the gospel of Matthew, and let's learn about our Savior King and his kingdom. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10. As we continue our series through the gospel of Matthew, I've been teaching for a while now, and um, I have taught through all the Gospels. This is the second time through the Gospel of Matthew. I have taught on the topics that you find in the Gospels in many different times and occasions. And, you know, there's a reality that as a teacher, preacher, you come to some text and you say, well, I know all about that. I've studied that, I understand it, I'm living it, and then, and then God says, oh, really? And he speaks to me in a profound way. And so as I came to today, today's text, it was one of those texts I was pretty familiar with the concepts and the texts and, and the things that we're going to talk about this morning, but the Lord opened them up to me in a per very personal way. And uh, he made me uncomfortable. Hmm. And so uh, there, there, it is good for my own heart to know that the Lord can still make me uncomfortable. Because I don't want to get in that place where I think I know everything, think I've got everything going on, think I'm all that. I know intellectually that I'm not all that. But it's nice to know that the Lord can still speak to Rick's heart and, and say things to me that I need to hear. And it's my prayer, ultimately, that he does the same thing for all of us this morning. Amen? So what does it sound like might be one of the sense that we might get out of this text? Could it make us uncomfortable today? No, probably just one side of the room versus the other. Don't point fingers. If you're here this morning, if you're watching online, or will watch us in the future, there's a good chance that Jesus has already touched your heart. He has already done a work in there. He has already brought you to that place of repenting of your sins and receiving him as your savior. There's a good chance that's already happened. And when that happened, in that instant, the Holy Spirit came into our lives and sealed us for heaven. That's one of the promises, that when you receive Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit seals you, puts a mark on you spiritually, that guarantees your way to heaven. That's a beautiful thing. That's, a thing. That's where we get a great sense of confidence and peace and hope come the reality that no matter what this world brings, I have heaven as an absolute certainty. As a born-again believer in Christ Jesus, you are heaven-bound. I am heaven-bound. That's a beautiful thing. The question I'm going to deal with today is, is that enough? Is it enough to have your sins forgiven and have the promise of eternal life? Or asked another way, is there more to the Christian life than that? Is there more to it than that? So let's pray, and we'll ask the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts about that. Heavenly Father, we do come to this text. And while I'm guessing that most of us have read this, we've read it repeatedly, We've read through it, we've read past it, we've read over it, we've read, never even studied it, maybe even heard lots of sermons about it. But Lord, I'm praying that you dig deep today. That we, we would, as that word goes out, that it would find that good, fertile soil 
and that you would dig deep down into that soil and plant the seeds that are, that are found here and that they would produce radical fruit for you. So we give this time to you. And we do pray, Lord, as we often come to a time like this where, we're, where, where, where we, have, we come with mixed emotions. Some come celebrating. Some, some come grieving. Some come uh, with the knowledge that grief may be coming. So many different things with pains and hurts and, and, and disappointments and failures and successes. All these things all mixed together. Lord, we need a moment where we just settle in. We settle down and we settle back into your arms and allow your spirit to minister to us. And I pray that you'd help us to do that right this moment. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Chapter 10 began with Jesus calling the 12 disciples and then sending them or preparing to send them to share his message with the people of Israel, specifically the people of Israel. Ultimately, the message will go to the rest of the world. Somebody say hallelujah, because otherwise we wouldn't be here. And so, so, so there was a point where that started, and that's, that's what we see going on here, where Jesus is sending them out to start spreading the message of the kingdom of God. And so the rest of the chapter, we, got, we th went through most of it last week, but we're going to finish it off this morning. The rest of the chapter is a continuation of that. And so that's what well, we see, that, that Jesus is still preparing to send them. So he's still sitting there. He's got the 12 before him. He's talking to the 12 about what they're going to be doing and what they are. So verse 32 of our text says this, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven, but whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. So as Jesus getting ready to send out the disciples, he's sending them out to the Jews, and he's telling them to teach, to preach, to share the message of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, that, you know, that, that they ought to, people need to repent and turn to God, turn from their wicked ways and to, and to obey, obey God. That was his main message to them. And, and he had just previously told them not to be afraid of the people he was talking to, that he was going to go into these places, and they weren't all going to accept the message, right? We, that's a reality, right? Not everybody accepts the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, you're going to go out there, and some are going to reject the message. They're going to reject you. But don't worry about it. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting God. And these two verses give us the two possible responses to the gospel you might see. There's two possible responses, only two. Only two ways that people can respond to the gospel message. They either respond by believing and confessing or by rejecting and denying. That's the only two possible outcomes. There's no, there's no in-between, there's no neutrality, there's no this. If you hear the gospel message, you have one choice, well, I have two choices. You either believe and confess or you reject and deny. So for us, if we share the gospel with someone, if we share Christ with someone, and they respond by giving their life to Jesus, what Jesus is saying is, oh, then what I will do, if they respond by doing that, I will then go before the Father and confess their name before him. If they reject the message, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting God, and then therefore I will go before the Father and deny them before him. Wow. That's the primary application of this verse. It's not the only one. We often see that in Scripture. That when we're studying Scripture, we always look for the primary application first. And then if there are secondary applications, we look for those the primary application is then sharing the gospel and the response of those who hear the gospel. But there is a secondary application here that applies to all of us. And that application is for believers. A confession, what a confession is, is a public profession. It's a public statement. It's saying in public something is something. In the case of what we're talking about here, he's talking about believing or about confessing Christ. 
confessing the gospel, confessing in Christ, faith in Christ. The commentator Mark Moore said this, while lifestyle evangelism is appropriate, it is not sufficient. We must, at some point, confess Jesus with our mouths. Now, again, we can start with those who are first hear the gospel message. We can change our life and live more like Jesus, but at some point, we must confess in public that we have faith, that we believe in Jesus. But as believers, there also must be a confession of Christ in our, in our, in our lives. Now, now, he mentioned the term lifestyle evangelism. What lifestyle evangelism is living like Christ. That's what lifestyle evangelism is, where you live like Christ, hoping somebody's going to see it and get saved. It's possible to do that. It is possible that someone could study your life so carefully that they might actually be able to figure out, just by studying your life, there's something different about you, and then they figure out, oh, it's Jesus, and from that, they figure out, oh, there's, you know, there is this thing called salvation through Christ. It's possible to do that. But at some point, they have to hear the name of Jesus. From whom? From us. We have to live a life that we are willing to confess Jesus before others, regardless of what they might think or say or do. We can't care about that. I was listening to um, a, a sermon where the speaker was talking about the will of God. You know, everybody wants to know what the will of God is. You know what the will of God is? Do what he said. Do what he tells you. When? Right now. Whatever the next thing is he told you, do that. That's what his will is. Now, I want to know what the big picture is. Well, shut up. Just do what the next, do the last thing he told you to do. That's all you need to know. That's another whole sermon. It's not in my notes. To be a true believer, there must be, at some point in our lives, a public profession. But as a true believer, there must ought to also be a regular profession words from our mouth that communicate the truth that we are believers in Jesus Christ at some point. That doesn't mean we're out there preaching the gospel. That doesn't mean we're standing on a street corner with some sort of a, you know, signboard on, you know, saying the end is near. No. Turn or burn. That's a good one too. Don't do it. But we need to be willing to share Jesus. Just telling them, telling people, what has Jesus done in your life? Telling them. Then Jesus makes a statement that's confusing for a lot of people. Verse 34. Do not think I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. We need to see, we need to understand that when Jesus said I came to bring a sword, the implication there is a sword is symbolic for war. Jesus come. He said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring war. Now, we also know from Isaiah what is one of the titles of Jesus. In Isaiah 9, it tells us that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And, and we're going to see that repeatedly as you study through the, the Scriptures, the idea that Jesus is peace. Matter of fact, for us as believers, he is our peace. And so there's a reality that, that there is this thing that, that Jesus has done. But what he's saying, that Jesus is not saying that his, his purpose in coming was, was not to sow discord, but that would be the result of his coming. When he came, Jesus, when Jesus came, he divided the whole world into two parts, those who would believe and those who wouldn't believe. And, the, and that the reality is that those two do not get, they cannot coexist peacefully. Those who believe in Jesus and those who do not believe in Jesus, they will not, they cannot coexist peacefully. And that's why we see everything going on in the culture around us. Because we as believers, we're going to continue to believe, we're going to continue to be light, we're going to continue to be salt, and the darkness hates that. And it's going to, it's going to do things to try to, to extinguish the light, but can't. It'll do things to make the light uncomfortable, but it can't extinguish it. The reality is that peace is only possible one way. 
The only way that there can be peace in this world is if humanity humbles themselves before God, turns their heart to him, repents of their sins, and receives Jesus Christ as Savior. That's the only way there can be peace. The Bible tells us that when we do this as individuals, we, we then are at peace with God. It's possible then for us to be at peace with each other, but we're going to have a hard time being at peace with the darkness. That is just not, it's just not, it's not possible. Not if we're actually confessing Jesus with our mouth. And once we have received Jesus, then those who have not, they're not, they may not approve of the way that God changes you. There may be things in your life that the rest of the world, that world that wants to do what the world wants to do, when they look at your life, say, okay, I don't approve of that. And the possibility is that, there, well, not possibility, the reality, there will be conflict. Jesus said, I, I did not come to bring peace. I came to bring the sword. That is the result of his coming, that there is this, all of a sudden, there is this division between what's right and what's wrong, what's good and what's evil. That's always been there. But now he's made a very clear delineation. How do we know the difference between what is right and what is wrong, what is good, what is evil, what is heaven bound, what is hell bound? It's very simple. It's Jesus. We want peace. I want peace. I want to live in peace. But the reality is, is that if we are faithful to God, those who are not faithful to God they won't let us live in peace. We have to be okay with that. Jesus said it was going to be like that. Why would we, why would we be offended when, the, when, it's not, when we're not at peace when Jesus told us, hey, this is the reality of the world that I'm, I'm sending you out into? Verse 35. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's enemies will be those in his own household. Jesus desires peace and ultimately he is the prince of peace. He will bring peace, but it will be, it will be after he deals with sin in the world, the final dealing with sin and that doesn't come until the future. He desires peace, and he, and he wants us to live in peace. He wants us to strive for towards peace. He wants us to be peacemakers. He, all of that is true, but not at the expense of salvation, not at the expense of discipleship, not at the expense of truth. There are too many out there that are, that are sacrificing their, 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 their truth for peace. I want to be at peace, so I'll just, I'll just, you know, keep my truth to myself. Or they'll let somebody who has, you know, some weird aberrant ideas, you know, let them just say whatever they want to say without actually countering with the truth, just so there's peace. That's not what God wants. Those who, are, those who want to live in the lie need to understand that there is a truth out there. So we speak the truth in love. We speak the truth in the way that Jesus would speak the truth. We speak the truth as, with, as, with as close to Christ-like love and grace and mercy and, and all of those things that we possibly can. But we speak the truth. And you know what? There will be some who will reject that. Do we get that? Do we understand that some will not accept the truth out there? The cross, Jesus is going to talk about the cross here before in just a, a, another couple of verses. The cross is offensive to those who are at war with God. Romans 8 says this. Romans 8 um, verses 6 through 8. For to be carnally minded is death. The, the carnally minded means that you, the spirit of God is not being, is not influencing the mind. It's only me, my desires, my hopes, my wishes, my me, 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 my flesh. To be carnally minded, to, to have that mind that isn't controlled, isn't influenced by the Holy Spirit is death. Anybody know that that, that is probably not a good thing? If you're, if you're carnally minded and that carnal, that carnal mind is death, that means, what does it produce? Death. 
That's all it can. It, can, it produces brokenness. It produces wickedness. It produces wrong things. It produces evil. The, the carnal mind cannot produce good. Why? Because it is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So if we want, if we want peace, it's when we allow the Spirit of God to influence our mind. Because only through him can we, can we experience the life that God wants for us. Can we experience true life? Can we experience abundant life? Can we experience the good life? It's only through the, the, a, a mind that is controlled and influenced by the Holy Spirit. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. That means the carnal mind, that mind that focuses on itself, is an enemy of God. And all of us who were you know, before, if you, were, if you were saved before you were five, you know, if you were saved after that, you, at some point, you were an enemy of God. All of us were. I, I was an enemy of God for 40 years. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So important, we have to understand that this, this idea is that the mind is so important to us. That's why we have to be so careful about the things that we're allowing to influence our mind. There's so many things, so many, you know, so many, you know, vehicles into our mind, so many tools, so many apps, so many channels, so many programs, so many things that, that want to influence our mind, but what are they influencing us toward, the flesh or the spirit? Are they producing a carnal mind or a spiritual mind? The reality is if we do these things, if we, if we recognize that God is calling us to, away from the carnal mind, away from sin. And brothers and sisters, I'm talking to believers just as much as I'm talking to unbelievers. We all, we all need to be very careful that there are things that will influence us toward the carnal nature. And if we turn away from those things, if we turn away from the, the thoughts and from those things, it may also mean that we have to turn away from certain things and maybe even certain people. There could be people in our lives that as long as they're in our lives, they're gonna influence us toward the evil. And if we're not strong enough to resist that temptation, to resist that draw, to resist that influence, then we may have to turn away from them. And, that, and that's a hard thing. See, he said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. I came to bring a division between the right and the wrong, the good and the evil, between the righteous and the wicked. Part of being a disciple is a radical shift in our priorities. We have, to, we have to shift our priorities over to the spiritual. And that means sometimes we've got to turn away from some of these things that they're not necessarily bad. They're not necessarily wicked and evil, that they may be allowable, they may be permissible, they may be okay, but they're not, they're not building us up spiritually, nor can they. Verse 37, he who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now, he, Jesus inter, inter, interjects an interesting concept here that I don't think we often spend enough time on because <clears throat> he, says, he says, if you love anything, anyone more than me, then you're not worthy of me. And the idea of worthiness there is the idea of deserving. You don't deserve me. Wow. Can you imagine that? There's a point where we can, we can have our priorities messed up to the point where we don't deserve Jesus. Well, the, what's the inference there? That there is a way of deserving Jesus. Now, we don't think of it like that. We think that we're unworthy, we're undeserving of anything. God's grace is, a, is poured out to, to undeserving people, right? The only way that grace can be poured out is undeserving. But Jesus implies there is a way of deserving Jesus. 
And that has to do with discipleship. It has to be the choosing to walk with him. This is a call for absolute supremacy of the love of Jesus, of the love of Christ. Now, I love my wife. I have loved my wife for a long time. But I don't love her as much as Jesus. Jesus has to be first. He has to be number one. And if I have to choose to express love to him, or to express love to her, I have to choose him every single time. Now, do I do that every single time? Absolutely not. I'm trying. I'm getting better, but I don't. And even if, that means she doesn't feel as loved as she might want to be. If I have to choose between him and her, I have to choose him. Loving Jesus is not easy, nor is it cheap. Well, that might have made you a little uncomfortable, but I haven't gotten to verse 38 yet. <laughs> this is the uncomfortable part of the message. This is the part that we really, that God ministered to my heart about. He took me much deeper than I've ever been in this, in this particular thought than I've ever been in my faith. Verse 38. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Now we need to pause for a moment and make a distinction between a believer and a disciple. Now, there are many who would tell you they're exactly the same thing, and I'm here to respectfully say, if you believe that, you're wrong. And for those of you who are teaching it out there, you're wrong. The term follow after is used to describe something that in Jesus' time was referred to as a disciple or could be translated learner. It was somebody who had made a conscious choice in their life to physically follow a teacher, to, to abandon whatever life that they were living and to follow this teacher wherever they go, whatever they do, to imitate, to copy, to learn, to, to become what they are. And so that's what a disciple is. That's what a learner is. A believer has heard the gospel message. They have repented of their sins. They are heaven bound. They're going to heaven. A disciple has also done that. And then they have made a conscious choice to follow after Jesus. A believer is passive. A disciple is active. That is the primary distinction. You can get saved and never do anything else with Jesus. And you know what? You're going to end up in heaven. A disciple is someone who's, yes, I am saved, but that isn't enough. It's not enough. To be worthy of Jesus, I need to be more than that. I need to be more than a believer. A believer might be a good, moral person, but their faith is not growing or it's not growing very rapidly and, 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 they're, and they're not being challenged regularly to change, to be different than they are. Listen, I, I've, been, I've been a believer for a, over a couple of decades now. I've been teaching the Bible for more than two decades and and if I don't come to the scripture with the sense, with the reality that God wants to change me, then I'm making a mistake. I've, I've studied the Bible. I've studied a lot of it. I've gotten down pretty deep into some areas. But every single time I come to it, it's with the realization that I could be more for Jesus. I could be more like Jesus. And, and I desire that. A believer might not. They just like, yeah, I'm just going to show up. I'll be there. I'll do, you know, the, the, the minimum required 
to maintain my membership, whatever that might mean. A disciple wants more than that. A disciple is actively seeking to know Jesus more and more, deeper and deeper. They're allowing the Holy Spirit, they're inviting the Holy Spirit to transform them. Where we wake up and we look at our life, we examine our life through the scriptures and we say, I can be more like Jesus today. I know I can't do it by myself. I can't do it at all. It has to be God. It has to be the Holy Spirit doing that work inside of me. But I'm going to do my part. I'm going to do my part in the Word. I'm going to do my part in prayer. I'm going to do my part in service. I'm going to do my part in fellowship. I'm going to do my part in giving. I'm going to do my part any way that I possibly can. I'm going to do my part, but I know the work is actually being done by God. And I want that. The words take and follow are in a form in the Greek that indicates they are active, ongoing realities. This is so important because the Greek is such a fascinating language and typically their words have so much more depth and richness than we can easily communicate in the, the English. If you've ever read, ever read an Amplified Bible, anybody ever seen or had any reference to an Amplified Bible? Amplified Bible does what I'm about to do here with this verse. It takes the verse and it, and it amplifies it based on what the Greek is actually trying to communicate in a way that that makes more sense to us. It's just, it's just not that easy to read unless you're actually doing what I'm doing. But what, what, what this verse is saying to us is what Jesus is actually saying to us is that what he's saying is, and here's, a, here's the amplified way of reading this verse. It says, and he who does not take and continuously take his cross and follow and continuously follow after me is not worthy of me. Now, there's a lot more to it than that. I just want to amplify those two words. There's a reality. It's not about just taking, you know, you know, taking your cross, saying, okay, I got saved. And follow me, that means, okay, yeah, I, I'm saved, so I must, be, I must be. No, he's saying there's this active present tense reality to it. It's happening now, and it's continuing to happen. How long? Well, until you get there, which the reality is, is, you know, as long as we're wrapped up in this flesh, we still got work to do. You cannot be passive in your faith and be a disciple. Now, what do you think God wants us to be? Do you think he wants us to be, all of us to be believers? Yes. How many of us do you think he wants to be disciples? All. That verse the implication of this verse is that all of us need to take our cross and follow now and continuously. Let's talk about the cross for a minute. <clears throat> you know, the cross has been turned into a symbol, it's been turned into jewelry. It's been turned into decoration. The cross. It was a, a Roman form of capital punishment. It was one of, the, one of the primary forms that the Romans used, and it was meant to be terrible. It's one of the most gruesome forms of capital punishment you could imagine. The Jews didn't do it. The Jews used stoning, which personally is not much better. It's just faster. But the, the cross was not used just to execute. It was used for much more than that. It tortured its victims and humiliated them. And that was what the Romans were going for. Yes, ultimately they wanted them to die, but only after being tortured and humiliated. By using this image, Jesus is first and foremost prophesying about his death. He's telling us how he, how he will eventually die. 
And he knew that. He knew exactly what was coming. He knew what it meant. He knew, the, he knew the spiritual significance of it. He knew the practical realities of what it was gonna be for him to go through it. He knew all of that. But he's creating also something else that I think is so important for us as, as, as believers who may or may not want to be a disciple. He's creating a vivid image of what it means to be a disciple. That if you, if you are going to be a disciple, you must understand the imagery of the cross. And this is the reason, this is the reason why most people will never get past being a believer and they won't be a disciple. Because of what I'm about, I'm gonna, what I'm going to describe to you right now, it's too much, it's too hard. The cross a disciple is to take up is a daily picture of death, torture, and humiliation. I chose those words on purpose because we make it way, we have sanitized, we have diminished the cross to the point where it has no teeth anymore, it has no meaning, it has no depth, it has no richness. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you must embrace the reality that the cross is a picture of death, torture, and humiliation. Well, probably not literally for most of us, probably. But they, we must accept that. Three things. First, to take up your cross means death. To be a true disciple of Jesus Christ, we must count our life as loss, as, as of, of little value to me, that, that my life now is, a only, is only of value as it relates to Christ and his kingdom and his call upon my life. Beyond that, it has no value. The Apostle Paul said that in Philippians 3, 7, what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Paul said, it'd be better for me to die. I, that would be gain for me, meaning his life was of no value unless it had value for Christ, which his life did have value for Christ. He said, you know, not that I, you know, I, you know while it would be better for me to, to, to go and be with Jesus, it'd be better for me to stay here with you, better for you for me to stay here, not for himself, If we embrace the cross as a disciple, you know, the, the obvious application of that is, is to have a, a, a willingness to sacrifice our life for Christ. That if, that if, we, if we had to you know, lay our life down, martyr our lives for Christ, there'd be at least a willingness to do it. Don't, don't imagine it. You don't have to imagine yourself in that scenario. But there ought to be in our hearts, okay, if, if God called me to it, I would be willing. I don't know how I do it. I don't, know, I don't know what it would be like if it actually happened. Don't worry about it. If God brings you to that, he'll, he'll do all the heavy lifting on it. But we should be willing to do it. Now, we might be unlikely to actually be called to do that. I'm, I'm guessing most of us will never face that. We'll go through our lives. We'll never have to stand up in front of somebody with a sword saying, either you, either you recant your, your faith in Christ or we're going to cut your head off. I'm guessing that's probably not going to happen to any of us. It does happen around the world more often than we like to think about. But he's going to ask us to give our life to him, to give him our life. Romans 12.1 calls us to be a living sacrifice. What does that mean? To literally give our life. What part of it? All of it. You know, when they sacrificed an animal, you know how much of his life they took, right? They took its whole life. And God would call us to do the same thing, to give him all of our life. Now, that's hard because we do still have flesh. We do have things. We have needs. We have wants. We have dreams. We have desires. We have hopes. We have all those things. And they resist that call to give all of our life to Christ. A 
called to live for him in such a way that he has more and more and more of our lives. And that's the challenge for us. Every day to wake up and say, I want to give a little bit more of my life to Jesus today. Just a little bit more. And my goal is to give it all to him. Second thing, to take up your cross speaks of torture. Again, we live in Murrieta, California. The chance of us, you know, being hung up on a rack or beaten or scourged or any of those sorts of things, probably pretty close to zero, I'm guessing, right? I mean, you know, Randy probably knows some reason why it may not be zero, but it's probably pretty close to zero. We may not actually be physically tortured, but we might be called to suffer. A true disciple knows suffering could be in our future, probably will be in our future. Now, it may manifest in ways that are not physical. It may be just inconveniences. It may be missed opportunities. It may be missed promotions. It may be, um, you know, challenges or issues. I heard recently about a woman who was fired from her job because she went to a board meeting and spoke out against the, you know, the wicked curriculum they were introducing. She was fired from a job that had absolutely nothing to do with the school district because of what she said there. We might be called to suffer. It might just be discomfort. It might be a sense of, of people not accepting you. As you, as you walk in your faith and, and others recognize that you're a believer and they may, they, may, they may reject you, they may cancel you, they may speak unkindly towards you, they may speak falsely about you. Could involve real suffering. Could mean loss of relationships. You know, some people don't want to be your friend or connected to you. Randy and I were talking before the service, you know, the, the concept of debanking. Anybody heard of that, that term, debanking? Debanking is when a bank decides they don't want to do business with you because of your beliefs. Did you know that's a real thing? It's happening more right now in England than it is in America, but if it's happening in England, you know what's going to come, what's going to happen. It's going to happen here. That just because you believe something that's different than what the ESG of, the, of that organization believes, that they would just stop. They just, they just cancel your account. Now, you understand, if, if you debank, that they close your account, your bank account, that's not a good thing, right? Anybody, anybody, we may actually have a, we may talk about that in a few weeks. That's a form of suffering. Those things could happen. And we have, as if we're going to call ourselves disciples, if you're going to be a disciple, which I, I want all of you to be disciples, then we have to be willing to do that. We have to be willing to experience those things. Now, we don't look forward to it. We don't, we don't invite it. We don't, we don't, you know, oh, you know, I, I got to go find some suffering. You know, if I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus, I got to go find me some suffering. No, we don't do that. What do you do? You follow Jesus. Follow Jesus may lead you into suffering. Well, does that make the suffering wrong? No. If, if you're following Jesus, he knew it was there when he told you to follow him. And you know, also he knows how he's going to lead you through it. Whatever it is. And what happens if they debank me? I don't know. You'll figure it out. Let God help you. And then talk to Randy. So many ways that we could, when we take up our cross, we follow after Jesus. It may lead us into hard things. We are living in a fallen world. We're living in a world that hates God. And we're going to love God. We're going to love Jesus. We're going to follow Jesus. We're going to follow Jesus into the darkness of this world, wherever that might lead. And as a disciple of Jesus Christ, we're going to go out there willingly. And we're going to go out there loving God. And showing the rest of the world that there is good, there is holiness, there is righteousness, there is hope, there is peace. And we do it by living and following Jesus. You know, many of the opportunities that, that get laid out before us, they're not appropriate for us. Things come, 
you know, you know, the opportunities to do this or to do that, a job or a, you know, whatever it might be. We got to be so careful because some of those opportunities may lead us away from God. There's nothing evil or wicked about them in, in, in general, but sometimes they lead us places where, where, where we don't belong or we can no longer be a disciple of Jesus Christ. They, they inhibit us so much that we can't be the thing that we want to be. You know, you know again, I'm not going to get all into all the details of that, but there are things that will tempt us to compromise and do something less than what we know God is calling us, what God is leading, what Jesus is saying, hey, follow after me, and this is the way that I'm going. And we get this temptation that draws us away from that. Sometimes it's, it means that we're going we're gonna to say no to something that the rest of the world will look at us and say, what are you doing? I, I, can't, I can't do that and follow Jesus. Third, last, take up your cross. Speaks of humiliation. The cross was a humiliating way to die. They would strip the, the person down and then they would, they would hang him on a cross in a very public place. They'd put a, a sign above their head accusing them of whatever crime they're being executed for and they would, they would be up there for days sometimes because it wasn't an immediate death. It was a slow, excruciating, humiliating way to die. Humility is one of the signs of a true disciple. Humility is a choice we make. We decide. There, there are two, everything in life can, be, can, be, can have a root in one of two things. You either, whatever you do, Whatever you are, whatever you think, whatever you believe, whatever the world is doing, it's either rooted in one of two things, pride or humility. All evil, all wickedness, all sin, all wrong is rooted in pride. All righteousness, all good, all holiness is rooted in humility. One of the realities that we have to go through in life is understanding those two things. And recognizing that I, I want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, I must be humble. And not only humble, but humbled. I need to be humbled. Because there's part of Rick. The pride is too strong. That Rick by himself is not going to get, he's not going to pull that root up. And so it's going to have to come to me. It's going to have to be done to me so that I, can, that I can overcome the pride that is so natural in me and that the humility can grow and rise up and grow in me. It's a choice that we make. In 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. If we are going to be true disciples of Jesus Christ, the, the Bible tells us that, that humility is the path of that. If we look at Christ and the way that he lived, he lived a life of humility. He was God in the flesh. And yet he was humble and humbled by the world around him. And he allowed it. And if we're going to be disciples of Jesus Christ, guess what? We need to allow it too. We need to allow ourselves to be humbled. And that's so hard because you know what pride hates? Humility. My pride hates humility. And I'm going to fight it. My pride will fight it. The cross is a picture of death, torture, and humiliation. And we... As disciples of Jesus Christ, we need to accept that. We need to embrace that. We need to understand that. That is the way that I follow Jesus. I take my cross. An active, present, continuous reality. I take that cross. And then I follow. And I keep following. Now, thankfully... Death, torture, and humiliation are not all the Christian life is about. Somebody say, hallelujah. There is more to the Christian life than that. There is joy, peace, 
hope, love, grace, mercy, on and on and on we could describe the, these different traits and reality. We have the blessings of God. We have the promises of God. We have all these things. But they are experienced. They are, they are pursued through the cross. Not around them. Not you, if you're not going through the cross, if you're not embracing death, torture, and humiliation as it relates to how we're experiencing this thing and this reality of this, of this thing we call faith, then th those other things aren't going to matter. They're not going to be real. They're not going to be tangible in your life. But when we embrace the reality that I am, I, I do all of these things through the cross, then all of those things become so much more glorious, so much more amazing, so much more fulfilling. But here's the main thing. As a disciple of Jesus Christ, I am not focused on death, torture, and humiliation. I am not focused on grace, mercy, hope, peace, love. I'm not focused on those things. I'm focused on knowing Christ. Knowing Christ, I want, to, I want to know him so well that in my, the, the imagination he gave me that I can look up, and, I can look up and, and imagine myself looking into his face and knowing what he wants for me. Knowing what he expects from me, what he thinks of me. I want that. Now, it's going to, and when I know that, it's going to determine how I do certain things. We're to wholeheartedly follow after Jesus. I was sharing recently, and I've shared it a couple of times now, there really is only one thing that once you become a believer, there's only one question that we need to ask God. And we ought to ask it to him all the time. Lord, what would you have me to do now? You know, you don't need to know what is plan for your life is. You don't need to know what his grand vision for your life is. You don't need to know all of these little details and things. What you need to know is the very next step that he wants you to take. That's it. That's all you need to know. Now, I know people that would absolutely drive them insane. That's all God wants. That's all God needs. And now, he may give you a couple of steps at a time, but he may not give it to you all. Lord, what would you have me to do right now. And you know, if you, get, if you get really good at asking that question, you can ask it over and over and over and over and over again. And every time he gives you one little bit more, one little bit more, and every time you ask that question and sense the answer from the Lord, you draw one step closer to him into the fullness of his presence. The, the, those, those things that we long to experience in our lives, the sense of wholeness, the sense of, of, of community and fellowship, not just with each other, but with God. We need to know those things. And we do it by following, by taking our cross and following after Jesus. And yeah, that means, you know, there may be death, torture, and humiliation along the way. But that's okay. That is nothing compared to walking with Jesus. It is worth it. Jesus says, if you don't do it, you're not worthy of me. You don't deserve me. But if we do it, if we obey, if we'll ask the question, Lord, what would you have me do now? And we hear an answer. We believe we hear an answer, and then we obey. God's grace will carry us through whatever that, whatever that thing is even when it's hard, even when it's difficult, even when it's miserable, even when it's inconvenient, even when it's painful, even when it's just torturous and humiliating, he'll lead us through it. We must be careful on what we're focused on. We don't focus on the bad. We shouldn't be focusing on the good. We ought to be focusing on Jesus. I focus on Jesus, he'll lead me through whatever comes, and whatever comes on the, at the end of it, at the other side of it, you know what's at the other, other side of it? Him. And that's good. Verse 39. 
Probably, oh, wow. We're way late. Worship must have went really long. Verse 39, he who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. I'll finish off here pretty quick. The abundant life that Jesus promises is not lived by living an easy life. That, that no one, nowhere in the Bible where he promised an easy life. It's lived through faith and obedience by taking up our cross and whatever that implies for our lives individually and following after him. Taking it up, continuing to take it up, following and continuing to follow. Day by day, moment by moment, that's how that life is lived. And if we do that, then, then that's good. Now, now, now the, the, we have to understand that if, if we're living for this life, this life is all that we get. But if we're living for him, we're living for eternal life, well, we get eternal life, and we get whatever good God has for us in this life. As the as disciples are preparing to go out, Jesus closes this, this thought with a promise to anyone who will hear their message. Verse 40, he who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward, and he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, surely I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. Now this is a powerful message for those who, who, who may not be called to stand up in front of a bunch of people. I've, I've had on a number of occasions people come to me, I can never do what you do, pastor. Well, there's a good reason for that because I'm so amazing. <laughs> no. I don't do this because I'm special. I don't do this because I'm, I'm amazing. I do this because God called me to do it, equipped me to do it, and then sent me to do it. That's why I do it. Now, if he didn't do that with you, of course you can't do it. But here he says that those who help those who were called get the same reward as those who are doing it. You hear that? You know, maybe you weren't called to stand up in front of a group of people and preach. But if you were called to help him who was called to do that, you get the same reward as him who does it. Wow. You know what that means? If I'm going to get a reward for what I do here, anybody that's serving has served in the, in, the, in the service today will get the same reward that I get, whatever that might be. That means you're all going to get Corvettes. Good for you. <laughs> let, me, let me wrap this up because we're already late. Each one of us needs to examine our heart. And this is where God got me. Is your faith passive or active? Is your faith real? First off, you got to answer that question first. But then, is it passive or active? Can you honestly say that every day you take up your cross and continue to take up your cross throughout the day? Can you say that every day you follow after Jesus and continuously through that day follow after Jesus. Now, every last one of us, if you, if you say yes to part of it, you'll probably say, I could do better with the rest of it. That's probably true. All of us could do better. Is your faith living and active or is it stale? And, and, and we, I think this is a really important question for all of us to answer. Because all of us get to a place where maybe life does whatever life does and we get to a place where just things start to get, you know, life interferes and gets in the way of what God might be calling us to do. We need to take a look. At the end of verse 38, Jesus said, if you're not doing those things, you don't deserve him. You don't deserve him. You don't deserve what he did for you on the cross. That's a heavy, heavy, heavy thing. And the place where I, I, I did some real heart business with God is, is, that, is that question. Do I, do I, am I living a life that is deserving 
of what Jesus did for me. Now, that might be a tough message to hear, and I'm guessing there are probably churches that would not preach this message because they don't want to make you uncomfortable. No, it may be uncomfortable doing this message. It may be uncomfortable preaching this message. And honestly, I'd rather make you a little bit uncomfortable for a few minutes than to sit back and let you continue to live a life that's not deserving of what Jesus did for us. If you're a believer this morning, awesome. God's calling you to more. He's calling all of us to take our cross daily and follow after him daily, moment by moment, think by choice by choice, decision by decision, whatever it is that we're doing throughout our day, it ought to be with Jesus in mind. Amen? Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, for all of us, Lord, whether, and I believe all of us are believers here, um, and, and if so, Lord, I, I believe you're calling, us, you're calling us deeper. You're calling us to be disciples. You're calling us to more. And Lord, that's not meant to be a condemnation, but it is meant to convict us, Lord, if there is conviction is needed. And so I pray, Lord, your Holy Spirit would do that. Lord, we don't do it to make people feel bad. We don't do it to make people uncomfortable. But Lord, if we're not exactly where you want us to be, Lord, it might be a good idea to be uncomfortable with that. At least to the degree that we take time to allow your Holy Spirit to speak into our lives and to confirm or deny whatever we're feeling. And for some, they might feel some conviction, but yet that conviction comes out of their flesh and not from you. And if that's the case, I pray that you'd give them peace and comfort knowing that they are doing what it is that you called them to do. But there are some who may not be that they hear this message and they realize that they are not where God would have them to be, that they are not doing, they are not seeking, they are not, they are not obeying the way that they ought to. And if that's the case, that they would, they would humble their hearts before you and repent and ask you, Holy Spirit, to help them to take one step closer to you today, that right now, that they would make a choice, that they would make a decision to choose to take up the cross, to take up their cross, and to follow after you, to take it up and continue to take it up, to follow and continue to follow every day, every step, every choice, every decision, every conversation, every action, everything that they do, let it be to take them one step closer to you. And I pray, Lord, if there's things in our lives that don't belong, whether they're good or bad or, or indifferent, but they're not, they're not leading us to you, Lord, you'd help us to turn away from those things that we might draw nearer. Lord, we're living in dark times. Those times are getting darker. We need to be light. We need to be salt. And we can only do that if we will be disciples of Jesus Christ. It's good that we're believers, but you're calling us to more. And I pray you stir in our hearts a passion to know you, Jesus, a passion to follow you, Jesus, a passion to be like you, Jesus, that others might come to know you as well. And I pray, Lord, as we open this message with the idea of confessing you before men, that we would be willing to do that. We may not know how. We may have fear. We may have doubts. We may have all sorts of reasons why we might not do it. But, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be willing and that in seeking you, that you will show us how. I know if there's anyone here who doesn't know you or any watch, anybody watching online or will watch this that does not know you, that, Lord, you... you love them so much you sent Jesus to die on that horrible cross for them so that they would not have to suffer the same fate that the rest of humanity is headed toward and that is eternal separation from you God so I pray that you'd humble their hearts right now that you would lead them into that place where they'd receive you Jesus as their Lord and Savior that they'd repent, that they'd turn from their sins and recognize that, that the way that they're living, even, even if others would call it good and moral, is not right if it's separated from you. They receive you as their Savior. Lord, we thank you for this day. I thank you, Lord God, that you love us so much that while life may not always be easy, when we live it in you, it is always good. And so we lift this day up to you and praise you for all that you are and all that you do. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. God bless you all. 
Thank you for joining us as we learn more about our Savior King and His Kingdom in the Gospel of Matthew. It is our hope that these messages will help you grow in your faith. If you have any questions or there is anything we can do to help you with that, please do not hesitate to connect with us. Go to calvaryfv.com connect to find all the ways that you can connect with us. As Christians, we are all connected in Christ. One of the ways we would like to engage with you is in the area of prayer. Please let us know how we can be praying for you. Send us an email to prayer at calvaryfv.com or text the word pray to 951-419-5396. If this material has been useful to you, please share it with someone. Also, please pray that God would use these messages to help others find hope in Jesus Christ. You can also partner with us financially by going to calvaryfv.com give or text the word give to 951-419-5396. Until next time, go be radical with Jesus.